feel it's time to do a show about my favorite band of the 90s. Let's dive in to talking STP on Over Under Fair. Welcome to Over Under Fair. I am your host, Averill Dan, and I am here in the studio today. I am really excited. Roger, are you excited? I am pumped. This is one of those uh, shows I've been looking forward to doing for a long time. It's been circled on the big board. Yes. I know we, we sent a picture out of the big board many, many moons ago when we first started doing the show. At some point, I should probably put another one up because we've done many of the topics on the board. We've added a bunch too, but this was one from inception. This was on the board. Uh, we are discussing Stone Temple Pilots, arguably the best band of the 90s. I mean, it's an argument because we're going to have that argument today. Uh, I introduced Roger, who is here with me as always, and here returning, uh, you may remember him from our Top 98 and 98 episode we did not so long ago, the host of SRD Ringside, Ray. Ray, what's going on? I'm happy to be here. I am brought in as a hired gun of 90s grunge. <laughs> yeah, we're, it's my favorite era of music ever. We have a very we have a, a very far-reaching, you know, tendrils into lots of pop culture things and we 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 bring in the people that we know will exceed when we know they can in the in the vicinity that they are necessary in and through many conversations as we alluded to the last time Ray and Roger and I have known each other a very long time. Uh, we talk a lot about 90s music, and this band has come up more than once, I'm willing to bet. Especially if you're talking to me, because I try to bring them up all the fucking time, because I am the worst. <laughs> but, Ray, man, welcome back. I'm glad to have you here. I'm happy to be here. All right. Um, as as I said, we're talking about Stone Temple Pilots. A brief explanation. Uh, we've done episodes, we've done band episodes before, so repeat listeners will perhaps have heard us talk about Metallica, or the Red Hot Chili Peppers, or the Smashing Pumpkins. So we've, we've done other bands of the 90s that seems to be a thing we can't get away from and we won't so get over it uh we are going to do that again we'll talk a bit about the band we'll go through their discography and kind of where we were with that as it was new and where we are now like the history and the legacy of this band and what they mean to us then and now ray you think you're up to that task i'm very up to it all right well then we'll start with you as a as a person who existed in the nineties, I did. Yeah, um, where in my formative years, if you will. <laughs> yeah, arguably, right. Yeah. The most formative yes. for all of us. Yes. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots. What what do you have to say about Stone Temple Pilots prior to your appearance today? Okay, so my opinion of them was always I liked certain songs, uh, elements here and there. As albums came out, I would sort of cherry pick, like, hey, that's a really good tune. Except for Core, I always thought Core was. A very, very, very good, excellent album. But, and as a whole, I feel like I always thought they were an also ran in the 90s grunge era with STP, Pearl Jam, and, you know, Soundgarden. Not an uncommon opinion. They yeah. Are, they are often listed. So, in as the stuff. quote unquote, the bigs, if you will, of early 90s grunge, and then even going into 90s alternative with like Green Day, Smash and Pumpkins, I always just kind of thought STP was a, I guess the best term is an also ran. They were fine, they were good. But they weren't one of the more elite or more, I don't know, bands that I like sure. more of. They were just there, and I cherry picked when I liked to listen yeah, to them. Yeah, I don't think that's an like I said, I don't think that's an uncommon opinion. They're they're not held in the same regard that some other bands are from this era, and I want to dispel that. Um, yes, Roger, uh, Sunhole Pilots. 
this is a band to me that is one of my this is my top five favorite bands of all time. Uh, it's a band that we'll get to the album discography shortly, but they have two fantastic, if not near perfect albums that I I, I personally dig quite a bit of. Um, this is a band to me that also throughout the nineties when all those music fads came and went, they're the ones that were consistently saying giving those fads a finger. That to me says something about the band and the legacy of the band, and I, I'm a big fan of. The, I'm a huge fan. We saw them. You and I both saw them uh, at the Fillmore in Detroit for. We little, did, yeah, and the reunion show. What oh seven oh eight? Yeah, something like that. something like that. And I was, it was, it was kind of like that. Check, big, uh, able to check that off the list. And honestly, the musicianship alone about this band is fantastic. And I'm, I'm even you know even talk talk show. I'm even a big fan. Of I'm going to give you a chance to talk about talk show, you weirdo. Yeah, but uh, yeah, overall, yeah, they're. <laughs> I hold this band in a high in a high accord. I've never felt closer to you. I didn't know you loved them that much. I mean, I know you liked them. We've never. We've yeah, never I've just, never heard you say a bad thing about them. No, it's like top it's, five all time. Like I say that, and I know that's true, but I did not know that. No, real quick. I mean, honestly, the replacements, the jam, the police, Stone Temple Pilots, and then the the five always kind of rotates in and out all the time. But uh, yeah, that was pretty off the top of your head. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, sounds those, legit. Yeah, Stone Temple Pilots has always been up there. It's just when I when re listened to it this the last couple of weeks here on Spotify. It, it just kind of was like, man, I forgot how fucking good they are. Yeah. So then would you say, so I didn't actually ask at the top, we'll go around real quick. So would you say then, in the vein of this show, are they overrated, underrated? I very think very underrated. Very underrated because of the amount of music that came out in the 90s. I think they able to hang out, especially, the, the you know, we'll get to that a little later, but the time of each album came out in a period of time where it was things were changing in the 90s anyways, and they able to kind of ride that wave out. I think, but not get enough credit. I, I, I don't. Know. I think they're. I think they're underrated to me, at least. And Ray, I don't think you share that sentiment. Uh, no, I think it's pretty clear from my <laughs> opening remarks. Uh, I would find them overrated. Overrated, correct. Even if they're even if they're considered an also ran, they're still overrated. Correct. All right. That's I, well. Their also randomness is because I think they're overrated. Oh, okay. So. Okay. Yeah, right. So you are ascribing this based on your opinion that they are overrated. Correct. All right. That's fair. Yes. Uh, if it isn't obvious, I think this band is this band is vastly underrated. I have maintained for decades now which is sad to say because i've been alive that long that they are the best band of the 90s uh scott wyland who we will talk about each individual band member when we get into it their lead vocalist and lyricist i believe is probably the least the least heralded frontman of his generation in you know in accordance with other people that he is around and I don't think that's fair. I think he's a better lyricist than a lot of people give him credit for. I definitely think he's a better vocalist than a lot of people are aware of if they aren't as into this band. And I think what what they did, as Roger kind of alluded to, through their albums, through the decade, uh, was to change their sound in a way that never really got them... They weren't given credit in the time they were making these records for making the records they were making. They were making music on their terms in their way and it was never it wasn't part of the pack the same way that other bands were kind of releasing like green day sounds like green day pearl jam sounds like pearl jam like stone temple pilots sounded like stone temple pilots but what is this in addition to sounding like that like they took chances they did weird stuff they you know they went they went for it in ways that other bands i don't think did in the same time because they weren't as concerned about being as commercially viable and it's obvious once we start getting to the middle of this discography so i want to take the chance to go through here and kind of examine part of what i'm trying to highlight by you know we'll play some songs 
we'll have a little discourse and we'll see where we where we land at the end of this too but uh just heading into it then as as we normally do the band stone temple pilots uh composed of four musicians as i named scott wyland head lyricist and vocalist uh did some other stuff you know here and there but that's pretty much his job duties uh, the DeLeo brothers, Dean and Robert. Uh, Dean was lead guitar and music, and Robert was the bass player. Also, other percussion and kind of random stuff. And Eric Kretz, uh, the drummer, who, you know, pretty competent drummer, I think, as far as drums go. I don't, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Eric Kretz through the conversation of this. We will talk about the DeLeos and Wyland a lot, because they, the, they are the creative force of this band. And I don't want to give him short shrift, but Eric Kretz was kind of a drummer. You know what I mean? Like he's no Matt Cameron. He's not Matt Cameron. Let's. I'm. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to try to make this a fight. Like about about (laughs) band versus band. But you know, Eric Kratz, perfectly serviceable drummer. Like there's nothing wrong with Eric Kratz as a drummer. He's no Jimmy Chamberlain, like we kind of talked about in the Smashing Pumpkins episode. Like they didn't. They didn't have a dynamic sound because of the drums. But everything else is dynamic. So before I prattle on too long about it, that's the name of the band. That's the name of the members. Starting up at the top there, they were formed in California. A lot of people mistakenly think they were a Seattle band because they kind of came out around the same time as, like, Sound... Well, not the same time, but near enough the same time as Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, that whole sound, Nirvana, obviously. But they are a California band uh, formed in the late 80s, kind of around the same time as, you know, those bands I mentioned. But they wouldn't become any kind of prominent until they changed, uh, changed up their sound a little bit and then signed to Atlantic Records in 1992, which is when Core comes out, which is where we will start our conversation. Uh, Core released to great fanfare. It's very, it's still and probably always will remain their most recognized and their best selling record. Uh, eight times platinum. That's pretty, pretty impressive, even for the 90s. Like that's, that's not a feat that a lot of people have, uh, a lot of people have touched. And uh, Ray, I'll let you start because you mentioned it when you were talking about them. Uh, Core is one of those albums that it seemed like every single person had. Yes. Like a like your your nineties alt rock starter pack of like this and like Pearl Jam's Ten, uh Smash by Offspring, and then like right. Green Day's Dookie. Oh, yeah, Smash by Offspring. Yeah, like right. every every single person I knew had this record at some point and you know, around this time. And I think it's because as you said, it's great. I think it's fucking great a plus. top to bottom. Such a good album. Talk about it a little bit. Okay. I think, first of all, and I hope this uh, connection here isn't lost because I'm not going to compare them to these things. Just the idea of, I thought you Dead and compare, Bloated. Compare them to okay. who you want to. but Dead and Bloated as an opening track. And that's the thing that I think the art of the opening track is lost. And I think a lot of albums that I like from them, that was something I put a lot of priority on. Like, how are you starting the story? Because that was back when albums were still tracked in order for a reason. It wasn't just the single surrounded by a bunch of stuff. You know, the song order had a lot of relevance. I always thought the opening, that that dead and bloated opening where they have like the very strange effect on the vocal that makes it sound like it's in a different room. And then it's that huge monster opening, you know, riff when it comes in. To me, it was very, I don't know, it's just a historically good opener. And I liked to compare it to like, Nirvana Serve the Servants was always up there with like yeah. that teenage angst is totally. paid off we, well. Now we talked about that old. on the Nirvana episode. That's one yeah. of the best opening. And then like Green Days with Dookie, which is obviously a monster album. That the the burnout, the very first song was like you know I declare I don't care no mm. more. Like so, I always thought Dead and Bloated had a very very good. And that's one of the things I always crapped on Ten for is having a fade in for once was a really bad way to start that record. I think that's an introduction to your band. Right. That's the first song I ever heard from you. And it took 38 seconds to get to the part where you start actually going into the opening riff. And I thought that style of the time was to have that. So dead and bloated 
such a great opening song. So good. It's true too that this this album does a great job of like starting starting at such a pace that you're like you're interested right away into what what this band is going to like the journey you're going to go through. I don't want to give short shrift to I don't want to this this is something that a lot of people are guilty of. I do this too. I don't want to give short shrift to albums that are currently being made because I still think there are a lot of bands that that put an emphasis on, you know, having having the opener be like the correct the correct configuration of how you want to get someone's attention. So I won't disagree with you that it is exemplary of how to open a record, but I don't, I don't want, I don't think it would be fair for me to just say like, people don't make albums anymore. Like they do, but sure. you know, if we're, if we're just talking about core specifically, then yes, I totally agree with you. Uh, this album rips from the second it starts until the second it finishes. Roger, I know you have some, you have some songs you love on this album. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's an album to me that it was funny cause it was one of those uh, cases where reverse order again, where I listened to Purple first, then Core. Because when Core came out, this is '92, so I was still I was in a Green Day offspring. Well, not necessarily that, but '92 uh, was still that weird period of time in my life with music wise. So I heard Purple first. So my experience with Core was a little bit after, and I forgot how heavy, or you know, I was, was surprised after you listened to Purple how heavy how heavy this is. Yeah, in exactly. Yeah, because yeah, this is like a hard rock record. Right. Like the, the I think the biggest takeaway from their first their first offering is that this would kind of be no pun intended the core sound of the band going forward. But it never gets this heavy again. Yeah. Like it's never it never goes back to this this type of for better lack of a better term grunge type of music. A, a label that they and a lot of other bands at the time totally pushed back against. Like they did not consider themselves a grunge band. It is like a media label kind of thing that they would all go on to say. And I agree. They're they not wrong. Yeah. 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 They, they actually aren't. probably weren't. No, they weren't. No. And that's, that's something that I think a lot of people unfairly compare them to bands like Pearl Jam and bands like Soundgarden. Like they, they all kind of had the, uh, the, the misfortune and the fortune of happening at the same time. Right. But because of that, and because those bands were, more well regarded in that type of music that they were making stp kind of got looked at as like a band that wasn't quite those bands but this album is not like a naked pearl jam impersonation which other people have said it is like it stands on its own merit like pearl jam pearl jam for all of their goodness like pearl jam was a little less pop minded in the way that they approach their songwriting. But at the base of a lot of these songs, these are still songs that are made to be heard on the radio. Like this, this is a band that wanted to be heard. And I have an appreciation for that as someone who has more of a pop music sort of affiliation and less of a, I want to hear my bands on the radio kind of feeling, you know what I mean? So like there's, and this album has no shortage of like popular hits, like sex type thing, creep plush, wicked garden, dead and bloated was also, you know, also received some plays. All of these songs had their time in the sun. They they would never have another album that released as many singles, let alone songs that are that recognizable. This is the bulk of their, 
greatest hits. You know what I mean? Yeah. They all kind of come from this record. And what's a shame about this album too is Naked Sunday is one. By the way, one of the best ST. That's my favorite song on the album. Since you brought it up, it's my second. It's my second favorite song. No, it's mine too, Ray. And they did a really good live performance on SNL where he's Scott Weiland is on a loud like a megaphone and he's screaming into the mic the beginning of the song. And this song, the beginning, that beginning, and like just that whole, yeah, you're right, Dave. This song, they don't get any harder after that. And it's such an, I think to me, one of the most underrated songs of all time. And this song, I think you should play it. I think yeah, you, should you know play what? It honestly, Sunday. like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to play it because the the thing is, especially with what I don't understand about that that song is that that is a perfect radio song. That's a perfect radio song, and it never got. No, no burrito play. None. Well, I don't think they were. They, they didn't release that commercially, so that's that's a song that you would just have had to. You have would think though, heard like, someone play on like an album cuts kind of thing. Oh, you think after the SNL performance that you know people are like, hey, I heard this song the other day on a on, on a Saturday Night Live. What was that? You know, I never heard that song before. Well, I feel that way about my favorite song on the record, which is Cracker Man, which is yeah. like a perfect three minute little thing. But I don't want to take away from this. Let's listen to this for a second because this song really does kick ass. And it, the bass on that song alone is just it's 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 awesome. And the, the way the bass kind of like towards the end of that, before it kind of like the words kick in, and also the song beforehand, "Sin." Sin's a good setup to "Naked Sunday." This is a good opportunity to discuss kind of the musicianship of the band. Like I, for as much credit as I want to give Scott Weiland for being excellent, I think the real bread and butter of this band is the guitar sound, and this is this is exemplary of that. Like this record is a very great indication of the 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 sort of style that Dean and Robert put into these music into the music they had like it was sort of like surf rock on speed like they they had a lot of bendy notes and a lot of you know a lot of really deep groove that they would put into these songs but it was never lacking in like a chugging hard in your face kind of presentation and that's that's not an easy thing to pull off like to to have so much of this stuff be remembered because i think if you remember this band for anything you remember Scott Weiland is in it because he's he's kind of a big deal. And you remember the guitar. The guitar in these songs are all the center point of all of their best songs. Oh, Plush, you know? I always thought, first of all, Plush should be like a top 50 riff of all time. Yeah, absolutely. But if you listen to the opening chords of Plush, or even when that when Naked Sunday breaks into the full chords, I was always impressed compared to other bands of that sound how wide the chords are. They're huge. Yeah. Like, it, it seems like he has two fretboards and he's playing across two guitars. Like, how the hell are there that many notes? It sounds like an And you only have one hand. That we're right. just kind yeah. of walking he just through. Makes these massive, I don't know what's layering. I get how that works. But sure, yeah. other people weren't doing no, it. No, they were It weren't. doesn't sound like that. So, yeah, I've always thought the the sound was so big and just wide chords that seemed like they were you know, twice the size of your car. Yeah, and they, you know? they don't move away from that. Even when they get weirder with stuff, like, the guitar is expanse through sure. all of these records. And it is it is the most underrated aspect of the this band is the guitar playing of Dean DeLeo. I think he is a criminally underrated guitarist and I, I'm going to give him the credit. I think he deserves in the show by constantly highlighting it. But yeah, this, this record sticks with me. It's not the one I revisit now. Like it's, it's, you know, uh, when I go through and listen to the discography, it's usually like the third or fourth one I'll play. Cause I do it regularly. I listen to this band a lot, but 
I've heard it so many times that at this point it is almost like second. It's just like a second nature kind of thing where I don't need to hear it. I can still hear it in my head, but it's not because I don't love it. I think it's amazing. And it is, it is the first album of theirs I had. I was very young. <laughs> I was yeah. 10, I think when I bought this record and this, this and nevermind were sort of the two records that pushed me into becoming interested in what rock and roll was at this time. And I didn't look back with STP. Like I was, I was committed from track one minute one until now like here we are now right. talking about it 25 plus yeah. years later and it, it had that kind of lasting effect on me especially i mean i know you talked about uh eric kretz being just a normal drummer to me however i think he was severely underrated as a drummer because he especially in that part right there the the, the build-up i think he added some of the sound too and, and robert uh dean's brother who played bass a lot too like he had a funk bass to it but it was really well hidden and the way he was, the way he played it, especially on this one, this is more like straight, you know, adding that little groove to it. But um, you see it more coming out in different albums. But he definitely added a sheer, you know, talk about everybody talks about Flea in the '90s as great basis, but you know, I put Robert up there too. I think it's fair, and he he wrote a lion's share of this music too. Like yeah. the the DeLeos were kind of responsible individually and both of them for writing nearly all of the music this band would make. And Robert doesn't get enough credit for some of the songwriting stuff like he wrote creep that's a that's a robert DeLeo song like the the music you know what i mean and that's a i would say it's the best creep of the 90s like yeah if you have the other three to compare if you have tlc tlc creep and then sdp's creep yeah no, it's uh, it's the supreme creep. Oh, fine. Okay. I mean, I want a TLC not, to be on top of that I, one. Look, no disrespect to TLC. Right. Everyone knows I love myself some TLC. Sure. But it's still, it's number two. Sure. We can both agree. Okay. We can all at least agree that Radiohead's creep is the third. Oh, creep. without yeah, a doubt. Yeah. Okay. I'll agree. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So there's there's my obligatory shot at Radiohead. Right. If I could jump off something real quick yeah. that you said, I want to dispel and bury this idea that STP was a direct ripoff of Pearl Jam. Like it comes up a lot, man. But do you so understand how the timeline would have to work for 10 to come out in 91 and quarter come out in 92? Do you know how long it takes to get famous yeah. and become <laughs> a signed national act produce yeah. cut and release a record? The the logistics of it alone are almost impossible that they were quote unquote ripping off. And not to mention there are two different time zones here. They're, they're not two they're the same time zone but two different STP came out of the LA rock scene, which is a completely different beast. Right. Than, yeah, one hundred percent. Right. And, and it shows. Like it's it's yeah. there in the music. Like that guitar is LA guitar. It's not Seattle guitar. Yeah, and, right. But, but even then, but you know, Eddie Vedder came from San Diego. Well he yeah, yeah but, but, you, but this Yeah, still, but this idea that like the I four route. Yeah, know? that he was you know, emulate Scott Wyland yeah. was emulating Pearl Jam's voice and sound and trying to be Eddie Vedder. I just that needs to get so buried and destroyed. So, I, I hate that so because, like I said, the time the timeline alone destroys any idea that within a year you'd go. We need to be like that. Then you cut a record, you know, write it, cut it, produce it, convince someone to sign you, and then you're famous. Yeah, I it think just it, doesn't work that he, way. I think it's 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 pertinent to mention it too because he'll. Wyland kind of goes out of his way after this record to distance himself from his tone, like of this record. Right. He's he's a dude that's influenced by David Bowie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Eddie Vedder is not. And Eddie Vedder is Roger Daltrey, and we're done with that conversation. Right. Like he's the ninety. Scott, Wyland, yeah, that's Scott it. Wyland is Jim Morrison <laughs> and Eddie and uh, David Bowie. Like he right. has nothing to do with Pearl Jam. Like, right. Yeah. That has never been the case, and for that. 
for that's that's the biggest thing that I always push back against when people would call them cite them as an also ran. It comes down to them being like, oh, they're a pale Pearl Jam impression. Like, nah, dude, Pearl Jam doesn't make this kind of music. Like, no. this is they're two different things. Which you could also hear us discuss in the episode of verses that we did for uh, counting tracks. We yes, were all, we were all there. We were all there to tell you about how great Pearl Jam was and that record. And uh, they're not STP. Well, STP we can officially marry because, as you're well aware, I have a doctorate in Pearl Jam. <laughs> yes, uh, so, as a, a definite expert on the subject, they are not a ripoff band. They are their own STPs, their own entity. So, there you go. A doctor has told I'm, you. I'm glad we have that settled. Right. Thank you for your time, doctor. No problem. <laughs> Uh, heading, speaking of second records, uh, moving along to Purple, which is the follow-up to Core, a I would say a pretty hyped album after the success of Core, which was again monumentally successful. Like I saw those videos a billion times, I heard those songs on the radio everywhere I went, and Purple repeats that by being uh, just as listenable, and I would say if not more so. Like this is this is if you didn't have Core. This was the other SDP album that everybody had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Interstate Love Song being probably the most recognizable song on here, arguably, uh, I would probably also say the best, uh, Vaseline, Big Empty, which was on the Crow soundtrack before it made it to this record, but was it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Crow soundtrack, super good fucking soundtrack, huh. by the way. We're going to, we're going to throw out a half. You Is know. that 94? Yeah. Crow? Okay. Yep. 1994, also yeah. this album. So, um... Yeah, these songs were massive songs. Like yep. Vaseline and Interstate Love Song are still unglued songs. Unglued was that, my and unglued. Yeah, my favorite also, single of this. Uh, yes. of the singles on this yes. album, Unglued was my favorite. What are you doing over there? Yeah, no, no, I was just <laughs> I was playing a little bit of a meat plow there. So I, yeah, I bought this album like the week it came out. It was one of the it's one specific memory of purchasing with my own money from a time around then, like scrounging together bottles that I'd return or like doing a. I don't know, like a fucking paper route or some bullshit, like just to, to scrimp together like 14 bucks to go buy this from Sam Goody, you know, like being that sort of anticipated for something at such a young age. Like that's, I think obviously nostalgia is a giant factor in what, what motivates us and how we feel about a lot of these things. But I, I can divorce it enough to recognize that I was that excited then, but I'm still as excited to talk about this kind of their music and stuff now, because I am, that enamored of it and i think this record as great as it is still bears a little bit of discussion because there's there's some interesting shit happening here because they they evolve the sound from core where they are still heavy and still kind of you know a bit loud to doing some more interesting stuff with like big empty being kind of a ballad heavier still but definitely a little bit lighter and very introspective there there's a lot more emphasis on lyrics in this record that aren't as brooding in in ways but are still very i don't know kind of like top of mind like wyland was going through some stuff it's i guess as we should mention here that this is where the the sort of fraying edges of the band sort of become public knowledge like this has always been a band that is kind of admired in turmoil uh scott wyland if you are not familiar with this band and their story has a very noted history of drug abuse and it is around this time where it starts becoming public like they're missing shows. They have to cancel things. It starts becoming a this and that of whether or not Wyland is able to perform live and whether he can keep within the band because there was a lot of ego and a lot of stuff at play there. And the dynamic of that isn't really for us to discuss here because it's not as germane to the conversation, but it will least it bears mention because it is, it's kind of an important part of the history of this band as will yeah. become very apparent after we discuss the next couple of records. But I've talked for too long. Uh, Roger, 
you said that this was the first record that you had heard. What what was it that initially drew you to this then to even go back to want to listen to more of them? Well, what it was is that it was simply a so a, a funny story about this album. So my sister had a 1989 Mercury Topaz manual with, Good a, car. with a tape deck. <laughs> And also, she bought, who didn't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she bought this. She bought this tape when it came out, and Big Empty was all over MTV. It was a part of the was a part of the the Crow soundtrack, and I was big into the Crow at the time. So oh, who wasn't? We yeah, all were, yeah, we right? all, yeah, exactly. We all had that friend. Who, I want to take a shot. I told, I promised him I would. Shout out to Josh Mathis who could not be here. Uh, he was a host on the Alien episode. If anybody remembers, he will be here again. He wanted to send his regards and let everybody know that STP is in fact underrated and Ray is wrong. And I wanted to make sure <laughs> I'm a doctor. I wanted to make sure I gave him his props and let him know that we're thinking about you. I love you, Josh. Love the fucking crow. Josh loves this band. So I just wanted to give him a minute. But go ahead, carry yeah. on. So he so. The Crow was the initial, you know, my sister picked up this album, and I remember she worked at this, Frank's Nursery Crafts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she worked there, and she picked it up, she picked me up from school, and I heard the first, one of the first songs I heard out there was, was Loungefly, and I was, I was like, this is Stone Temple Pilots? She said, yeah. So I stole the tape from her, and she never, like, she asked about what happened. I'm like, oh, no, it's crazy. And I hid the tape from my sister for about a half a year. So, you know, sis, I'm sorry if you're listening to this episode, but I, I stole this tape. I'm not. And I uh, know I'm not either, but I'm glad you took it. It was, <laughs> it was one of the first albums that I ever listened to that, that time that I liked every track, every track on here is awesome. I mean, you look at the change in sound from meat plow to start off. The, meat plow is like, I think their way of saying, look, you know, screw you guys. We're gonna we're gonna do like we're gonna like the way it starts off and just and, and just kicks off the album really well. Sets it up for Vaseline very well because Vaseline has that kind of hard sound. Mm-hmm. Loungefly, awesome. Still remains is one of my favorite. Still remains is my favorite oh, song on the album. God. That's it yeah. is my favorite song on the whole record. Yeah, um, my mine is Silver uh, Silver Gun Superman because I just like the way the you it's just the way the the chord changes on that song. <laughs> I know that we're talking a lot about. The, and army ants. Oh, army I know that we're talking a lot about the the bells and whistles and the specific the specificity of album titles and stuff or track titles. We can't play every single song. Right. I I know we're kind of doing you a disservice by not being able to. Uh, this really doesn't exist to play all these songs for you. We are working under the assumption that if you are listening to the show, you are also old and you at least remember some of these songs. If you do not and you have not then by all means, use this as an introduction to go find them because yes. I feel that they merit a listen even now because I think these songs all still hold up, yeah, and, like all of them. And the, the the synopsis of it all really is what, what I like about the album is that it has a nice builds up very – like it's one of those track for track where it blends in so well. It, it's it, the thing that like it doesn't sound like there's any – like uh, a slow moment. I mean like pretty penny and, and, and if you get to that point too, but – What's great about this is that they evolve themselves. You can hear the the evolution, like just to have that from the first album to the second album, so distinguishable that be able to go and say, okay, we can unplug a little bit, we can we can quiet down. Well, yeah, and then you know? and they they expand on their sound by being less, excuse me, less grunge, quote yeah. unquote, and they start getting more like psychedelic. This becomes yeah. like a real focal point of how 
how the guitar is placed in these songs and how it's presented. They have a way more ethereal sort of floaty element to a lot of these songs that the first album doesn't have. That's a great way to put it. And right? I think that that's like that's kind of the hallmark of their sound. Like if if core is the foundation of where you hear all the riff, then this one refines it to where it is noticeably like that's STP. I yeah. can tell you an, a Stone Hill Pilots. I can tell you the guitar, just the Leo guitar in anything because that's how it sounds and it comes from this record. Especially Army Ants. The way that Army Ants has a really cool way of like put mixture of like play Army Ants. I, actually, that's a song I think people should hear. Yeah. We'll, we'll play. We'll play a little bit of that. Now, Ray, you're still you're still a fan of this band at this point, right? Yes, like you're kind of still you're yep. on board for Purple's great for Purple. Yep, yeah. Um, tell me more. <laughs> Interstate Love Song is my favorite song on the album. I think it has that plush opener to it. That that's just a huge wow! How is that so, so big. big? It's so big. It doesn't make any sense. There's seven guitar players in STP, and no one's told me the other six people. <laughs> um, I, I'm still in. I'm still on board. Purple's great. I actually like the sound change. Uh, from core just kind of being a very straight rock record i I liked a lot of the song changes that sort of gave it a lighter feel a little more you know the harmonies are changing a little bit and it's not just obviously core i'm not saying core was generic in what it did but it it, it had a very specific this is what it is it's driving in one lane yes and this is all over the road and i'm not a fan of bands where the second album is the first album done again with just new songs right change and do things and they did and uh, i don't have a ton of complaints i think that the end of the album's got some weak spots like i don't know kitchenware and candy bars and those kind of songs yeah. the very very back end i'm like that's fine um but i liked it i still like core i still like stp um so no I, interstate love song is definitely my favorite song off it which is i don't i always feel bad when it's the don't, single you don't have to when i'm like god that's the most popular a reason, song so there's a reason you know, that song was yeah. a single and there's a reason that song is still popular like yeah. that is that is the song if i were to say STP word association name a song. I'm gonna guarantee you, 75 percent of people. That's the first song they mentioned yeah. because it is a lasting song. It is a giant, powerful opening, a powerful guitar, a very strong lyric from Wyland, a like very strong vocal too. Like it has all of. It's hitting on all cylinders that the way this band should operate, and yeah. it's a great indication of that. We're not gonna play that because we're probably gonna close with it. But right, it's. Okay. It is a memorable song. Sure. And when we were when I was quasi lead singing in a band like I thought I was going to be a rock star. You're a rock star in my eyes. Oh, buddy. thank you. Uh, no, I'm just a guy with a trumpet. We've determined that. <laughs> Side joke that no one knows any context to. Um, so we were in a band and the, the guitar player in that band was extremely talented. He was a very good guitar player. And we wanted to cover this and we ditched it after like two full rehearsals of trying to figure it out. Cause if you can't make that guitar that big, you can't do interstate love song. And there's a guy who has a bank of pedals in front of him, you know, with years and years of guitar playing experience behind him. And we tried interstate love song a hundred times. And I'm like, listen, if it's not going to come close to how, 
wall of noise that is. We don't do this song, and we never did. And I never figured out how it could sound so big, and we sucked. I've never. So heard we a moved band. on. Yeah. So I, I have never heard a band cover. So this it song. becomes uncoverable because yeah. you're, you would probably be in rehearsal doing what we did, unless you have no shame and want to go shit on a song that sure. you can't do well. You want to do it your way, right? Great, but if you have any pride in yourself, you did what we did, and we're like, <laughs> hey, we're all relatively talented musicians, but we're not even close to that. So ditch it. We'll do something else. So <laughs> I respect your band for knowing that about themselves. Is it ironic that we changed to a Pearl Jam cover? <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. We pulled that off. <laughs> Irony. We can do Jeremy. We can't do it a sweet love song though. Oh, that's funny. Anyway, so that yeah, no purple. I'm still well on board. This is this is a good album. I, I'm still very much into this band at that. point. It's a great album. Great album. I won't belabor the point because this, like I said at the top of when I introduced it, this album is fantastic. Uh, We're definitely gonna do accounting tracks about it. Sure. <sighs> yeah, we should do accounting tracks about every record on this fucking list. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting all wrapped up in my I'm getting all wrapped up in my emotion of, over this band because it's I think definitely not so tiny great. music for that's for sure. Oh man, but let's talk about tiny music, <laughs> motherfucker, because tiny music is the next record that would come out uh, in 1996. Tiny music, the long form title, tiny music songs from the Vatican gift shop. Uh, released in 1996, it also sells pretty well. It's a like a triple platinum, double platinum release for them. So they're still chugging out. Yeah, they still they've released a bunch of singles from this: "Big Bang Baby," "Lady Picture Show," "Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart." These are all singles, and they're mostly recognizable songs. I I think this is individually the most underrated record that they have released. I think this album definitely didn't get the credit it deserved then, like in '96. And historically, you know, it's kind of shit on. Like it's it's really weird, and it's kind of it's kind of difficult to listen to sometimes because it's very it's taking a lot of chances and it's going a lot of places. It doesn't all work. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's become it's it's now become more respected. Like in the time that it was released, it didn't do as well as the other two, and it wasn't received as well. But in reading things about it now, you know, there are people that have gone back and said cited this record as being the most ambitious and the most individually important record to them because it's been, it's become something of a, something of a lost gem. Uh, when Scott Weiland, spoiler alert, when Scott Weiland died, <laughs> um, right. uh, Billy Corgan, speaking of people we've talked about before, uh, cited this record specifically as the first record that he heard by this band and thought, you know what? I probably should have been listening to this band. Scott Weiland was a great vocalist and he was one of the better voices. And, you know, it's terrible that we have lost him because like this is in this album is indicative of the the chances they took and the shit that they could be you know could accomplish and like i said i have nothing but great things to say about it but before i say anything else about it ray did you listen to tiny music it's where they lost me yeah sorry did uh, you don't, don't apologize yeah i, I was mean, i was out i you, was you can be wrong just as well as that's I can sure. love SD, but... right i came here to be wrong which you know what <laughs> takes a lot of bravery on you're my right, part to show up a place knowing you're wrong well you're a pearl jam doctor not an stp doctor right and i didn't even get my undergrad in stp i barely <laughs> went to junior college in stp your, your undergrad was in god lives underwater oh you as, know as well it. uh speaking of counting tricks by the way shortest <laughs> podcast ever empty done <laughs> you do one song and then that's the end of a seven-minute podcast on God Lives Underwater wow. and Empty. Great. Anyway, um, yeah, I always felt that this was a sound that just lost me, which doesn't mean it's not good. It's just it always hit my ear wrong. I thought opening with an instrumental track was a bold move, Cotton. Um, I was also way too busy listening to No Code. Oh, I'm not doing that the whole show. I'm sorry. <laughs> Except you are, but go Except on. I am. <laughs> um, I like Big Bang Baby and Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart, and that's it, honestly. I liked two 
ish songs on the record. It, it got weird to me. It is, it is yeah, weird. You're not, you're not alone. It's weird, this is, and I left. This is where yeah. people drop off. Like, this record, it does a lot of weird shit. Yeah. Like, between that and, like, and so I know, and then there's there's two instrumental songs on this record, one to open, and then Daisy Way at the end, which is, like, a weird, jangly, western kind of sounding, you know, riff. Um, but this album is full of great fucking songs. Like, Lady Picture Show is one of their better songs. I think it's probably in, like, my top five or six. Um, Seven Cage Tigers, as you know, as a song, is also excellent. Doesn't get enough credit for uh, for itself. Tumble in the Rough is a good, straightforward, pretty good song. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, but it is weird. It has an eccentricity that the other records don't, and I think that's why I think it's so interesting because this is clearly a band going through some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Scott Weiland is having a lot of drug use issues at this point, but the band still managed to get an album out of them. And it is this, I make of that what you will, uh, Roger, how do you feel about this record? Well, when it first came out originally, when I first heard it, I was, you know, I was kind of confused about it a little bit and I had to take a step back. But as I got older and even towards the latter part of high school, I remember this specific, specifically my senior year, I listened to this album a lot, and you think about when this came out. So this came out March 26, 1996. So you look at what the music scene was. You're looking at New Edition was back on the scene in vogue. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I want every discussion of the year 1996 to start with the sentence "New Edition was back on the scene." <laughs> That's the only thing we should remember. If the, we take sor- the sorely missed New Edition. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, some of the biggest hits of the, that that year were from you know, like Hootie and the Blowfish, OMC, How Bizarre, all that stuff. And here they are, and then you know, virtual insanity. So music that that time was in that position of changing. We've moved on from grunge. grunge. Yeah, like yeah. We're, we're out of that. We're we're post grunge, and we're going to be heading into like the Nickelbacks and yeah, semi-sonic. And, and shit all of the world. I think at that yeah. time, by '96, all grunge bands were stopping trying to be grunge because they recognized all those albums that came up, yeah. all Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, blah 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 blah. They were all different. They were all sort yeah. of adapting to what was this is not being listened to anymore or consumed. Yeah. So they all have kind of these off the wall albums coming out at the time. And, and this, and you, you I, I don't want to put that in this album in this one because I feel like this is this is a good transition album. But really, in here they 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 incorporated all their sounds into it. But the reason why this album has, I think, it's aged very well, is because the musicianship comes through again here, and it carries it through, especially during that weird period of time where a lot of popular music was just, you know, I mean, those song, those bands I just mentioned, some of those songs did not age well. But if I hear like. If you heard Art School Girlfriend, it's kind of a silly I sounding. Love that song. Yeah, I love that song. I love that song. It's so great. But there is, so I know is a very, it's a, it, it the core, the lyric that stands out never will be the same again. And so that, that and so that I say, um, that whole entire song, I think represents to me at least that things for them weren't going to be the same. And it probably was going through what Scott Wellen was going through, but as a band, but just, it was such a, it's such a, I know, kind of depressing song, but. The reason why well, they, I like, they have a lot of depressing songs, yeah. but you know the dude was a heroin addict, so yeah. that's that's gonna that's gonna create a lot of depressing yeah. shit. I but, think I think uh, to touch on what you're saying, uh, we'll move forward a little bit. I think that this record, I don't want to go so far as to say words like timeless because that's unfair, but I think it's definitely it's definitely of its time without sounding like it has to be of its time. Like I, I think that they did well enough to move their sound through the miasma of the death of grunge into their new 
portal of what they would be as just like a rock band again because they've always essentially just been a rock band but this album does that plus you know some weird punk kind of songs some weird western instrumental stuff some weird like pop forward like big bang baby is almost a straight up pop song like they're you know they're they never sell out the sound of what it is they do but they're also trying to be all these other things and like this album is messy and ray i totally agree with you i wouldn't blame anybody for not liking it now or then but i think i think if you bounced off of it then maybe try again like someone who would be less interested in trying to hear it again i think it bears a re-listen because i think there is good stuff to be found on it personally speaking of course yeah i i would agree with that and and the thing about this album too it, it, the best aspect itself i just think that they're able to try to pull things together with Scott not being in the studio the entire time, they're able to pull that off, pull his album off with all that was going on around them and able to get him reeled in at some, what perhaps not even a hundred percent to get yeah. that out of him. That's he impressive. wasn't a hundred percent and it's no. obvious. Like there's, yeah. there's a certain school that the people that think he changed his vocal stylings for this record to meet some of the weirder shit they were doing. I have always personally thought that his voice was lessened because he was all on drugs. Like I, I think this is his weakest output in that sense, but ultimately it does end up servicing the songs. Like it's, it's weird that his, the bombast that he has in the first two records isn't quite as pronounced on this album, but I actually think it's in service of the music that they were making. Yeah. And they had a Dean really had to step up the multi layer, mm -hmm. the, the, the guitar aspect too. And, even like the drumming in um, Lady Picture Show, like that. I, yeah, I like think that. Lady Picture Show is legitimately an all-time great song. Yeah, like is. I think it Absolutely. is one of the best songs of the nineties. And I, I love that fight, video. I will fight people over that song. I love that video too. Yeah, it's a good video. Yeah, but that's not what we're here for. Yeah. You can't hear the video. Um, speaking of <laughs> things, we're not here for. Scott Weiland leaves the band. You like how I did that? Uh, <laughs> Scott Weiland would leave the band or was kicked out of the Same band, way. depending on how we how we want to interpret that. Uh, so this is like 19, late 96, early 97. Uh, the band is kind of on hiatus for a couple of years here. And some interesting stuff does happen in the middle. Uh, Roger, this is your chance to talk about talk show. Cause I know how much you, I know the oh. only reason you did this episode was so you could talk about talk show. Yeah. Uh, talk show is a record, uh, an album, also the same title of the album by the band, uh, that was released by the DeLeo brothers, Eric Kretz and the singer whose name I forgot to look up. Uh, it is three fourths of STP with another singer and they released this record. Roger, please continue talking about talk show. Well, talk show had a British, they had a, they had a British singer on it. It was the, um, bring up the gentleman's name, but the, well, he, uh, David, David Couts. Okay. C U T T S. And it came out on September 7th, 1997. And, they it, it's a it's a band that really was trying their hardest to to push on and maybe put themselves in a different position but you know it wasn't it, every, as soon as you heard it you it's just like well it's it's stp with the british singer in it and i mean the, some of the songs on here are this one that i think dave's personal favorite really it's, it's hello hello yeah it's i don't want to sound like an asshole but it's kind of the only good song on the record <laughs> And it sounds like Scott Wilder. It's STP. Yeah. This is STP. Yeah. The musicianship is there, and I'm with a different singer. I've never heard this in my life. Yeah. 
This is this is STP minus Scott Wilder. So I went through ST, I went through the discography hello, all week hello. at work and never ran into this. I yeah. did a little homework for this to make sure I was buffed up on my STP knowledge. I had never heard of this before. Yeah, this neither like did a lot gig, of other people. They like gig two weeks ago. I'm hearing it live for the first time. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, they, I don't want to say it's bad. Like, yeah, it, it sounds like STP. Like this is this is the rhythm section of STP. Right, and it sounds good. Like that is good. You know. By the way, I want to pin this thought for when we do later the album without Scott Weiland because I have a question for the both of you. But this will link to that. So okay. let's put a pin in this moment right here about the rhythm section without Scott Weiland. I will. I will keep that pin. Excellent. And also, by the way, Eric. Crest carried this album lyrically speaking did everything for it really yeah wrote all the songs on it wow i didn't even know that this yeah. is this is my oversight and my doctorate in stp because i don't care about anything that doesn't involve the the name yeah but i think this record is fine but i mean credit to him for writing it i guess that's pretty cool yeah i mean that's considering the, the circumstances that they literally they just had think about it 1996 they just released this album and scott williams falling apart backup plan you write out 10, 12 songs like that, it's impressive. Yeah, it's you know? not It's not, not impressive. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, talk, talk show, one and done kind of thing. Uh, they had a video as well that was part of the MTV, the last part of the MTV era that I actually watched videos for. I feel weird that we're laughing about your passion for talk show. <laughs> no, I did <laughs> not think we'd talk about talk yeah, show. This this is, is, I'm much learning about it live, so this yeah, is all no, interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I, I, let's, not, let's mention, well, you know, we'll put them in the back, ask a lot of French shows. I mean, one of those bands that you, you want to look up on your own, <laughs> go for it. But talk show... And French toast. Are, yeah, I'm kidding about tech, uh, French toast. Don't ever listen to French toast. No, They're don't. terrible. But get, get a chance. Check out this album. It's really it's on Spotify. It's right. good and uh, or iTunes if you're an iTunes guy and all right. Person and and go uh, we will then we can agree. Roger, you've had your chance. Yeah. We will never talk about talk show again. Yeah. You know what? It is in the archive, the audio archives of Over Fair, the Escalon of Over Under Fair. I have a feeling this actual conversation is going to get trimmed down and editing. <laughs> It'll be much briefer. It'll be much briefer. Dave's going to go. Yeah. All right. Enough talk show. You know, talk 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 show. Cut it after the part where I say Roger talk about talk show. <laughs> Okay, and then and then and then cut right to yeah. you saying don't ever talk about talk yep. show again. And there's nothing in the middle. <laughs> That's solid. That's a keeper. Yeah, yeah. So talk show happened. Um, at the same time, more in my interest because uh, something I actually have listened to many many times. Uh, Sky Weiland goes and has a solo album. Uh, it's called Twelve Bar Blues, released in 1998. I think Twelve Bar Blues is a fucking masterpiece, and I will fight anybody that disagrees with me. I. I think that it is now, 20 years on, finally getting a little bit of credit for for its musicianship and for the shit that he was going through. It is very it is very clearly a drug album. Like, it's definitely the work of a dude who has been on a whole bunch of drugs and is maybe trying not to do them anymore. Uh, the most recognizable song, I would probably guess, is Lady Your Roof Brings Me Down, which is a jangly, fucking weird-ass song that I am in love with and always have been. <laughs> Such a strange little tune. Um, I think this album highlights just how great Scott Weiland was as a songwriter. I know that not all of these songs are excellent as musicianship, but I still think that they are good songs. Like there are a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's more tinged towards the things that he was inspired by. There's some more glam rock kind of sounding stuff, which would become more prevalent going forward. But there's there's a fair amount of just straightforward rock, a lot of good alt stuff. Like there's a there's a weird indie sensibility to the, how this record is made, and like the orchestration on this song with violins and shit. Like it's a dude taking what he wanted to do, whether or not he was all drug addled or not, 
and making it work. And I think this record is super, super good. Have you listened to this, right? Not. No. No. Nope. I think you might actually enjoy this really? album. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a really cool record. It's, okay. It definitely bears a listen if you have any interest in this band ever because it's it's Scott Weiland sounding great. Like vocally, it's the best he had sounded in a while. Like he sounds a lot stronger on here than he does on Tiny Music. And I think that this record is super fucking good. Barbarella is the best yeah. song on this whole record. If you're yeah, since you're playing it now, yeah. we have to hear the whole thing. Actually. Yeah. If you're not going to play the whole thing, just don't even play it because I don't, I don't want to hear the whole song. But have you, Roger, you've heard this, yeah? Yeah, I was going to say, Barbarella is my favorite song on, the, uh, on yeah. this. Yeah, Barbarella is an excellent song. And this was an album, too, that I had to take a second uh, listen to. Not, uh, this is what I listened to it for the show. This was the first time I listened to it since like the early millennium because I had a, I had a, a buddy of mine who really, outside of you, who really was like, oh, you should listen to this a second time because when it came out, I. I was, uh, I didn't get it. I didn't, honestly. Not a lot of people did. No, it and was, I wasn't. It was in, a blink and you miss it kind of release. Yeah, not to mention, I wasn't really in the glam rock at the time. Like, I didn't get into Roxy Music or David Bowie until later on, so. It's not a full-on, like, glam Right, right, record, but there's but there His influences it, yeah. are showing. Like, yeah. the Jim Morrison, David Bowie-esque kind of thing that he is kind of into, it's here. It's yeah, all in this record. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I think it's fucking great. I think but, of all, like, you know, in Mockingbird Girl. Mockingbird Girl yeah, okay, Mockingbird Girl. Yeah, it's awesome, too. This is one of those albums, like a lot of solo 90s people, like any band out there knows that usually the, the solo album that are from a band tends not to be as good. This is the exception to the rule, at least in my opinion. I agree. I Like I said, I can't speak highly enough to the, how great I think this album is. And as a piece of the history of this band, I would definitely urge people to listen to it. If you've ever liked this band, you would probably be doing yourself a disservice by not at least listening to this once. Um, so everything was rough for a couple of years there, but as as all great bands try to find a way to do at some point, there is a reunion. It's only been a couple of years, but it's felt like an eternity in my in my short life. I remember when the solo album came out and I thought they were done. I was really sad. I'm in I'm in high school at this point, so I'm super emotional because you're in high school. And 1999 comes, and I'm like, well, I'm I got other stuff now. I was way more into rap then, so I'm kind of. I'm kind of out on STP anyway, and that's that's neither here nor there. I'm just like, whatever, I've moved on. And then at the end of the year, they surprised me with number four, which is the obviously the fourth STP record, as is the title of it. Uh, October 26, 1999, so it's late in the year. I remember how excited I was to buy this record after saying that I didn't give a shit about this band anymore, after the solo album, which I will admit I did not like as much then when I was younger, but I've definitely grown to love it now. And then Talk Show, which I didn't like then and don't really like now. But... Number four happens in 99, and this is unquestionably my favorite STP record now. It was then. It became my favorite then, but it has stayed 20 years on now. Oh, my God. It's the 20-year anniversary. I just realized that. So it's been 20 years since oh, number four. I'm done with that happening, uh, by the way. <laughs> get ready for more. Every man. week, it's the 25th or 20th yeah. of so many Something, albums I love, yeah, and I, I feel ancient. I, I would be uh, sadder about it if it didn't make me feel good to think about some of these records again and again and this is one of them i love this record i think it is great i think it is the best the band has sounded in a long long time i saw them we'll get into that in a minute ray you've kind of said at this point you're kind of whatever on the band uh have you listened to this record in preparation for this you said you did yeah. i listened to everything and did you hate it <laughs> i was always then and now i'm like 50 50 on this album it's not bad in that i'm saying that i don't like it so saying 50 50 implies that half of it i hate i know i'm just mean. only on board with half of it as like that's good stuff i feel like it kind of had a return to the purple sound 
ish to it. Yeah, you know it does. I mean? It very much does. But comparing to how much I disliked Tiny Music, um, and how much I now dislike talk show, I'm just finding that out. <laughs> so that's a bad joke, Roger. I'm sorry. No, I was number four was good, but I didn't. I I think at that point I was just disconnected from them. I had it. I owned it, and I re-listened to it this week. Um, but there's songs I like, and there's a lot of songs I really don't like and don't come across label, but Sour Curl hits me all the wrong ways. Yeah. In all the wrong ways. I love yeah. that song. It's a turning off song. Yeah. For me. All right. I'm just a guy with, a, doc. Favorite, I'm just a, guy with a PhD. I like it. Know, so. it's a, it's, I like it. It's, a, it's an all right song. But I thought it was a very good comeback album with what they were dealing, mm-hmm. you know, how long they were gone, per, you know. Roger, how do you feel about number four? Just so everyone knows, Roger's just staring at me while he's playing this. <laughs> Creepily, I might add. Um, you can keep playing it. Play it oh, okay. talk. All right, all right. all right, well, you know, the thing is, is that I, I initially liked this album a lot when it first came out. I really liked it a lot. And then it aged weird on me because I'll go back to it. I'm like, it's not... Because I, I, I love time music more and more the more I hear it. But this one, I don't know. It didn't... Especially because I think my experience with the uh, song Atlanta kind of ruined it a little bit for me, but that's a story that's a long story being a wedding DJ, but uh, I don't know. This album, and by the way, that's, there's two so- two married couples made a lot Atlanta their song that they've come into. We're, we're not going to play Atlanta, no, but it's yeah. long and yeah. it's clearly the saddest fucking song on this record. Yeah. And it's weird that anybody would want to have that at a wedding. Two, more than two people. Two are they, are still, they still married? I barely believe you, but I, I, I know you're telling the truth. It's still just weird to me. Yeah, because like it was when I remember. I don't the, know if there's, I don't know fucking know these people. Yeah, are. I don't know these people either. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I don't know. This is out of all of them, out of all the STP albums, this actually is the first one I kind of was like, well, it was okay. I mean, when I first liked it, when I first heard it, I liked it. Sour Girl, No Way Out, Church, you know, some of the great tracks, but uh, this was a, you know, this is after I graduated from high school, so I was kind of, I don't know, I was kind of STP'd out a little bit at that time, but now when I look back on it, it it's a solid record, not not one of my favorites, but it's it, it serves its purpose. All right, I'm going to say two things. Number one, how dare you, to both of you. Wow. And number two, uh, I have joked before about the reasons that I have made this podcast, I swear to God in my head, at least a full third of the reason I ever wanted to have a podcast was so I could talk about number four. So you guys are going to listen to me talk about it for a couple minutes. And then that'll be the last time we have to talk about it. Uh, it's fine, but I'm going to be singing talk show in my head. That's fine. You do what you have to do. Uh, I think this record is fantastic. I love every single song. I can remember buying it and opening it. It was a cardboard rec- It was a cardboard oh, CD case. Yeah, those so, were really big. Then. Yeah, a lot so of you, them you know, like that. it had right. it had the the papery feel in my hand. Yeah, and opening that big star on the cover of it up and looking in there, opening the booklet, seeing the band all dressed up on the back cover. I can remember every single piece of me hearing this for the first time, and I can still hear it like I'm hearing it for the first time. I was so happy to have this band back in a in a form that felt familiar to me. That that never left. Like this is how the band sounds in my head now. It's it's this record. When when Scott Weiland passed, this was the first record I listened to. Whenever I think I want to listen to STP, these are the first songs I go to. I know that this isn't emblematic of their best work. I'm aware of this. Like there's there's nothing on here that I think is Interstate Love Song. I would say No Way Out is close because I think that song's pretty fucking great. But my favorite STP song is on this record. It's Glide. It's track eight. Um, I think 
everything about this album is so good. The, the guitar is everywhere and it's loud and it's powerful, like in a way that it hadn't been in a while. Scott Weiland sounds amazing. He's, he's all returned to form. Like the, the venom is back when it needs to be there. The, you know, the gravitas is there in the songs it needs to be in. He's at, there's parts in glide where he's singing so, so high as to almost sound like he is ascending to heaven in the middle of the song. And I think, I think, there's nothing in my mind that doesn't make me constantly think of how great this record is. If I ever think of this band, I, I don't know. I'm starting to like sort of kind of repeat myself and, you know, wax rhapsodic about it, but I have so many good memories and so much good attached to this record. I was saying earlier and then I stopped. Uh, this was the first time I actually saw this band was in 99. I saw them twice. Um, and what's up? Where? Uh, Pine Knob okay. and in Toledo, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was curious. Sorry, Pine Knob, local reference. Um, <laughs> so I saw them in two outdoor venues. Okay. Uh, and it was, until very much later, it was the best concert I had been to, specifically because I was so into seeing them. Uh, I saw them on a great triple bill with Fishbone and the Fish. Fishbone, STP, and then the headliner was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who were touring Californication at the time, another giant 99 release. And uh, that was pretty much the best you could have hoped for in 99 for someone like me. Like, that was hitting all of my rock receptors. You know what I mean? 99, it might be the best you could hope for anything. There's a lot of bad music. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. Yeah, all things considered. Yeah, yeah all right. things considered. That's a damn good line. It was really <laughs> fucking great. It's still, it is on my short list of best shows I've been to. Yeah. And, that was such a great night and such a wonderful memory that I have, which is ironic because the the actual night was not that great. I don't want to throw people under the bus, but the person that I attended the show with wasn't having their best day and may or may not have tried to impact my best day. And that's neither here nor there. It's 20 years ago. So whatever, we all get over things. But the parts I remember about the concert were fantastic. All of them, uh, they had never i just couldn't believe how great they were like scott wyland was full of life running all over the stage just super super into it like breaking out the megaphone for cracker man and making everybody super happy there's boas everywhere like you know in my head this is the band i always think of when i think of stp and that you don't know it sometimes it bums me out because they they never quite hit this high a mark for me ever again and this is the band I like to think of. Like this STP is my favorite STP. This, they still played all their old songs when they were there. They all sounded great. Like every, they hadn't lost a step. Like, you know, three years had been removed from their last record and all of these songs sounded new. All of them sounded like they were invested in what they were doing. And I think all of them were good. Like I, I, like I said, I don't, there's not a bad song on here. I love every single song on this record without name checking every single one of them, but glide. I got you MC five. I like sour girl. It's not great, but I like it. And then down the album, the album opener, like they're just, man, I'm sorry. I'm getting all emotional. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking about it, but there's, there are very few records that I've had in my life that I am like so emotionally attached to that. It's, it's kind of overwhelming to start speaking about them. This is one of like three it's, you know, in a in a way that I can't fully articulate as clear as clear right now because I'm just stumbling all over the place. I love this album. I think everybody should re-listen to it. I think it's excellent, and I it is definitely and will always be my favorite STP record. So now that I have that out of the way, um, we're gonna take a quick break so I can go cry, 
and then after that we'll come back and we'll talk about the rest of this uh the rest of this discography so pause for station identification everybody this is eric guzman from pearson's peace and you're listening to the srd radio network hey gang dave here and i wanted to tell you thanks so much for listening to the show i'd like to encourage you to listen to some of our friends and affiliates on the srd network uh, for even more entertainment, news, and pop culture, check out shows like The Laugh Tracks, Parsons and Slow, Fanarchy, Grave Discussions, Counting Tracks, SRD Roadshow. There's more. There's a lot. But what about sports, you ask? It's in the name. What about sports? You want sports? SRD Ringside, On the Button, Mitten Sports Talk, Out of Bounds, Pucking Around, The Whip and Nene, and many, many more, including live stream play-by-play for several local high school hockey and football programs. Woo! Find all of this and more at sportsradiodetroit.com. No formats given. everybody and we are back uh i've composed myself <laughs> i think i think i needed a minute uh that was the opening strains of black again which was a song on the next record we'll be discussing shangri la da released in 2001 a couple years passed nothing happens really there's it's pretty calm in the band and in general nothing else happened in 2001 right it was a perfectly sedate year that's a that's a bad joke so 2001 happens, and... Oh, yeah, sorry. I was going to jump in and try to help you, and I couldn't. That's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Shangri-La-Di-Da is their fifth record, and it's it's a record. I mean, like even coming from me, I feel bad sort of ragging on it, but it is probably the weakest one that they've put out, I, in my personal opinion. I, I won't belabor the point. I don't have a ton of great glowing things to say about it. The single, uh, Days of the Week, is okay, but I don't know. This record kind of left me wanting after how much I love number four. And Ray, you're giving me a look like maybe maybe you felt that way. No, I actually like Coma a lot. Yeah, I'm not saying there's bad. Coma songs. hits playlists for me regularly. For, really? Yeah, I keep that around. Um, but generally, I thought the album mostly sounded the same throughout the album. It's, it's really real it gets same-y. monotonous to me. It, like I agree. over and over, over and over. It's fine, but I didn't hear a bunch. That kept my interest long enough. Um, but yeah, I liked one song, and then I listened to it more than once. And I listened to it again last week, and I, I have the same feelings about it. But I didn't think it was uh, there anything good from them, from, yeah. what, from what came before it. Yeah, totally. I'm 100% on board. Roger? This is an album of self-inflection. I mean, cool, too, too cool for Queenie song. That's a really good song, but you could tell he's kind of... his. Going through recovery album, but uh, 
you know, I, honestly, after after four, I wasn't. I expected like I had this period of time where a lot of the bands I liked, I was just like, oh, okay, they're 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 coming on something new, eh, you know, period. And and that's my initial thought. But listen back on it, this album actually is solid. It's not. I don't know. I, I there's a couple of songs you can just kind of throw away a little bit. And this is, I think, of all the STP albums, maybe perhaps the most throwable, throwable, or throw awayable, disposable. Album. Yeah, disposable. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I don't want to say disposable. Don't make it harder for yourself. Yeah, I know what the hell's what the hell's <laughs> up with me. But uh, no, it's I actually, it's disposable. But you know, even like a song, a song that's kind of get, doesn't get a credit to. I like it actually is a song for sleeping. Yeah, I like that song. It was something that I want to mention. Only it's just like I said, it's just. For a throwaway album, that's like that, the lullaby one, yeah. right? Where he's like singing the kid to sleep yeah. song. Yeah, it's kind of different. It's kind of different for him. Yeah, you know what I mean, like it, it, it was that. It's a nice touch. I mean, yeah, you know, they have kids and stuff at this point, yeah. so I guess you know if that's where you're coming from, uh, it does nothing for me. Like this, this whole record kind of it's it's a departure from how much I loved number four, and it's a bummer in retrospect because it's the last original album material they'd make for almost a decade. Like that's, I think that's why I think Nine of this years, album. Yeah. yeah. It's why I think of this album so negatively is because this is the end. Like, there's, you know, the 90s happen. They are a band of the 90s because they have all the lion's share of their material is from the 90s. And then the turn of the century happens and they just disappear. Like, oh, one is this. We get a we get a greatest hits album in 2003 that is, you know, it's a greatest hits album. But they do release one original song for it, All in the Suit That You Wear, which is a great fucking song. Like, that song's awesome. Actually, could you play that for me? That's the song I want to hear. You know what's funny about that too, but you talk about two thousand one, um, Smashing Pumpkins last album was two thousand. So you, yeah. in, two, in two years, you get all the, the all your favorite bands in the nineties just gone. Yeah, it's dead. Outcast, yeah, two thousand. Like it's sure they released Speaker Box and The Love Below, but come on, yeah, we like, don't know. There will be people that will fight with me about that, but those albums aren't good. Like I, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> like, hey. Yeah, it just sucks that like in in almost a decade's time we get one good song and then nothing. Like it's this band is done. Like uh, the DeLeos go on to do other stuff of which I can't remember off the top of my head. And apparently I forgot to research. Um, most notable in the time that STP is not a band, uh, Scott Weiland doesn't stop. He releases another solo record at some point, which is fine. And then. I'd say more rememberable is his time with Velvet Revolver. If everybody remembers what a fun experiment that was, uh, it's with the the remnants of Guns N' Roses, you know, Slash, Duff McKagan, assorted other members, <laughs> and and Scott Weiland singing vocal. I don't hate Velvet Revolver. Contraband's good. Yeah, I like that album. Yeah, yeah. I, Velvet Revolver brought me you. back like, into the fold of like, oh man. Yeah, like conglomerate groups are cool, and this one's. I cool. agree. Like yeah. this is this is kind of the heyday of this happening. Like Audio Slave also happens around yes. this time. With, yes, you know, like frontman and other band, you know, right. clothing. Nineties bands at a Chinese fire drill, and yeah. everyone sat in a different you know, car. What's, <laughs> what's interesting about the, the the brothers too is they did produce one of my favorite albums by Alien Ant Farm. Really, True, True Ant. 
Wow, I did not what? know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That's fun. Yeah, I mean, so. good for them. You know, I'm glad they're still getting work. But like, in you know, Scott Weiland keeping the profile up by doing this stuff with uh, with the GNR dudes. I like I said, I don't think Velvet Revolver is like the thing I'd want to say. Oh my god, they're my favorite band. But I don't hate Velvet Revolver. I I know they get a lot of shit, and I know that 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 stuff isn't great. Libertad is definitely not as good as Contraband, but Contraband is a fine enough album. Slither's a good song. That was the single. Yeah. Um, Slither, funny enough, would be the song once Scott passed. Uh, when Guns N' Roses reunited, they would play Slither at some of those shows. Oh, really? Like as yeah, as like a tribute okay. to him. Yeah, so cool. Like, Having having Axl Rose singing a song that Scott Weiland did with your band when you weren't there, right? Kind of a cool look, you know. Like does, that just goes to the import of what this dude meant to people. It's like the and, one cool thing Axl Rose has done in like thirty <laughs> years. So good for him. You're one for two thousand and seventy four. <laughs> I, I just I think that that song is good, and I think there are good songs on on that record. So Velvet Revolver. We're not going to talk about Velvet Revolver, but I just it has to be mentioned because that is what Scott Weiland did. By the, by the way, that literally that band carried the riff. Uh, local ref, re- reference uh, WRF in Detroit for four or five years because that's all I heard on that damn station was Velvet Revolver. The mid two thousands were a weird time. There. God, it was <laughs> terrible. Was... Jesus Christ. The weird two th- the weird two thousands. That's what I'll just call it. Is it was the, the, the weird two thousands. Yeah, the weird two yeah. thousands were were rough. And, Musical coming soon. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it. I mean, it goes. It, I guess it goes to say a lot that despite. Despite Scott still having stuff to do with this band, they do reunite as we as Roger and I alluded to earlier. We saw them at some point in like oh eight or oh nine, leading into the reformation of the band and a new record, which is a self titled just Stone Temple Pilots, released in two thousand ten. I don't hate this album. I actually think it's way better than it got credit for, and I think it's way better than I think people know. Like it's it's the it's better then number four, if you want it to be, I don't, so I don't think it is. But <laughs> if you are, if you are comparing it to like the older, the older STP, it sounds more like it sounds more like number four than like older STP. But it's still, it has all the hallmarks of like what you expect from this band at this point. But it's also kind of bluesier, and it's a little more straightforward. Like it's not as experimental, but it was definitely catching them at like the time they were still still capable of making good music you know what i mean and i think there's great guitar all over this record um hickory dichotomy is a great song huckleberry crumble like there's a lot of awesome tracks on this record that i think bear re-listening i hadn't heard it until this show yeah i was done with them after shangri la da and i didn't come back well velvet revolver i listened to because i like that the first album but i didn't care that they put an album out in 2010 so then when you invited me on here. I was like, well, I have to hear it because I ignored them wholly after that. And yeah, I kind of agree. It was, it's not a bad record. Um, it wasn't interesting to me, but I, I didn't not like it. Like I literally just listened to it three days ago for the first time. I knew it existed. I didn't care that it existed, but I didn't give it any effort until three days ago. And I listened to it at work and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a dare. If you dares a really, I, that was the yeah, song. I kind yeah, of good tune. I sort of, gravitated towards is like hey that's a solid track and now i added that to my itunes playlist so i I mean it was great i'm glad i did go back and go okay an album i knew about but completely and actively ignored i'm gonna give that a listen and i was i was expecting bad really i I didn't know anything of it i I was too i think a lot of people were and i i definitely think this record has aged well and i definitely think it should be re-examined you know what I'm not a big fan of Aerosmith, but Huckleberry Crumb sounds like an Aerosmith song, and they yeah, did it I better think that's than fair. yeah, they, they they did better than Aerosmith. So, uh, but 
Yeah, like Ray, I was kind of until I revisited it. Like when it originally came out, I was, eh, you know, I was in this weird phase of college music. But uh, listening back on it, yeah, it, it, I can see where it's deeper than what people believe it to believe. Because apparently speaking, when bands come back after a long hiatus, like Smashing Pumpkins, for example, we talked about that too, and this kind of parallels it. The newer Smashing Pumpkins stuff is pretty good if you take a listen to sure. it. Sure, everything was, after yeah. Zeitgeist, like yeah. the first yeah. Smashing Pumpkins reunited album, I think is garbage. Yeah. But they're the most recent ones, like the thirteen and fifteen ones. Those were good. Yeah, those like, were I, good. Yeah, I, I I will stand by it. And this most recent one, the last Smashing Pumpkins reunited album, is really fucking good. Like yeah. that was one of my favorite records last year. So it's 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 telling that these bands can find their sound and still make it work for them. And I think that this record does that. Like I've. I really do think that this is a good album. Like, it's not, it's, it washed the taste out of my mouth that Shangri-La Dog kind of left a decade prior to where I was kind of like, I'm pretty much done with this band. But this is, you know, it's, it sucks. And maybe part of that is Rose Colored Glasses because this is the last record that Scott Weiland sings on with the band. And I think as a departure, they didn't know it then, but as the last lasting imprint you have of the band, I think you could have done a lot worse. Like, that's, that oh, sounds like yeah. backhanded praise, but. I I think that this record is good and it is worthy of at least being it's it's worthy at least being a part of the discography that I treasured so much prior to it. I think it's a good addition. And you know, like I said though, it's it's not great after this. This is kind of where we hit the you know, the for lack of a better word, like the end of what this band is. Uh Scott Weiland would leave the band again and that's pretty much a wrap for him. He he continues to do stuff. He has a solo record. I regret not ever seeing him solo because he did he did a lot of stuff solo where he would tour around a little bit. I never got to see any of those shows, and I should have because, you know, you never know when you don't have the chance again. Um, he released a Christmas album also, like, at some point in, like, 2012 what? or 13. I didn't know that either. Yeah, but it, it's, like, yeah. he has, like, kind of a weird Frank Sinatra vibe going on on it, and yeah. it's not the worst I've ever heard. Like, huh. I'm, I'm nothing... I wouldn't call myself a Christmas record connoisseur, but I do like some, and it's not terrible. Huh. So if you're if you're into crooning and you're into Christmas music, check out Scott Weiland's Christmas album. All not right. a terrible recommend. Um, the band does soldier on though in in a very strange direction. In 2013, there were rumors that they were looking to replace Scott Weiland as Stone Temple Pilots. There was some unfortunate litigation stuff that happened over the use of the name and you know, kind of disenfranchised Wyland from the band, and it would end with them doing a couple of spot shows with Chester Bennington of Linkin yeah. Park fame, which would lead to an EP, which is the only thing they released officially. But look, man, I'm not going to go on forever about it, but uh, High Rise is not the worst thing I've ever heard, like the, the five-track EP that they do. Yeah. Chester Bennington doing a pretty serviceable Scott Wyland impersonation, like sounds kind of like old STP, like core STP. Right. And man, I don't think it's bad. Like I'm not a huge Lincoln Park guy and I don't love Chester Bennington, the, you know, the vocalist, but in these songs with that guitar and that instrumentation, he sounds pretty good. Like You know what's weird though is I found that news odd then and it still hits me weird. It is weird. When you say Chester Bennington's going to replace Scott Weiland and I know that information's oh, yeah. factual and but it still weirds me out that that's a thing. I loathe Linkin Park, so that's probably part of it, as I've always liked. Broadly speaking, I've liked some of the pilots, but I definitely can't stand Linkin Park, so maybe I came into it pretty biased. But yeah, that was just a, a rock and roll announcement that I, I still can't think is real, and it's real. Chester Bennington was in STP. Yeah, it happened. I mean, if, right. to be fair, they did... They did uh, 
they did signify it as Stone Temple Pilots with Chester Bennington. Oh, so it was okay. like a, right. It wasn't a wholesale like this is our band now. Sure, but you know, it's uh, it's not terrible, man. Yeah. I don't think it's terrible. Let's listen to a little bit of it. But I'm just like in the same camp as you, Ray, where I just can't like it, it's hard. It's it took even when I first um, excuse me, heard it the first time. I was like, N- it's, it's it's Chester, it's Chester Bennington, it's Chester Bennington, it's not Stonehill Pilots, <laughs> right. you know. But then, but then, but it is Stonehill Pilots. Yeah, like, but then that's, that's Stonehill Pilots. That's like, their that's sound, right. but that's the STP sound that's well established and out there. But I don't know. I just I was so cynical about it because I hated Lincoln Park so much. I still don't like Lincoln Park. I don't, you know, I don't care what anybody says. Oh, fuck that band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, Jason. But, you know, I, honestly, I like it's like, awful. Yeah, the band's awful. Um, I gave it, a, like, it, I, I gave it a try. I mean, it, to me, this is them doing what they do best, and that's a musicianship right there. But uh, it was hard to pull out the lyrics there. It was Chester Bennington. Rest in peace. Yeah, I, uh, oh, man, yeah, you think about that, like, is... Is frontman of STP the new Spinal Tap drummer? Like, is that going to become a thing? I hope. Well, like, if, well, if he's let's say he names name the talk show, then he's fine because it's like who? Yeah, right. I just mean like that's that's two two unfortunately past lead singers of this band. I I hope that's not a trend that continues because a few years after this, which brings us into now, and I don't want to wish death on this guy, so I guess knock on wood. I feel morbid even saying any of this. Oh, but, yeah. So you know, STP is pretty much done. Uh, Scott Weiland would pass in 2015. You know, very. It's unfortunate. I, I don't want to take too long to speak on that because it's not, it's not really for us to talk about the, you know, what the circumstances are and what he means to other people, and you know, in his life and without. I can only speak to me personally. I was very sad uh, when Scott Weiland died. I am still sad about it. I think he is one of the better voices of my generation of singers and stuff. And it was. It was a real bummer to pretty much feel like I lost this band forever. And, you know, I thought that until 2018, which was just last year, uh, they released another uh, self-titled record. So it's kind of like a hard reboot with them. Uh, They had done a very secretive, very extensive search for a new lead singer, which would lead them to Michigan's own Jeff Goot, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Marine City native. Marine City native. He claims he's from Detroit, but we know. We know. We know Jeff. If you leave the state, you can just say you're from Detroit, even if you're yeah. from Alpena. You got to tell people Detroit. They don't know where the hell Marine right. City is. People that live in Marine City barely know where Marine barely City know. is. I still don't know, and I think your your wife's from there. <laughs> My wife is from there. Couldn't I, drive you there if I needed I could, because I've been there a trillion times, so shout out to Marine City. I think every time you've mentioned where Jess is from, I always go, is that Port Huron? <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. Many people ask that. Sure. 
The, yes. the, the second most common reply is, is that just a Pokemon town? I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> pretty much exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> or, yes. you know, or it's a small village in The Legend of Zelda. Yeah, it's, it's, it's any number of those things. But yes. Marine City, Michigan, yes. shout out, much love. Uh, so, yeah, Jeff Goot comes in as the singer. Uh, he has a history in rock. He is... Uh, the front man of a band called Dry Cell that I don't never listen to because I don't listen to that kind of music, but I guess it was metal. Uh, shout out to Jason again. We're shitting all over his music. Um, so singer, singer Dry Cell, he has some troubles with trying to have a band run and maybe some personal stuff, but it leads him to an appearance on X Factor a few years ago, and he did really well for himself there, comported himself well. And ends up with the front man position in a very well-established rock band. I mean, hey, man, good for you. Yeah. So all things being fair, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Like, I listened to this record very tentatively. I waited for months before I even tried. And I don't love it. And it's not because it's not Scott Weiland. Like, I, I was very much willing to be open about it and give it a chance. And I didn't want to have that be in the back of my head. You know what I mean? But as an STP record, it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, it's it definitely still sounds like the band. There's You're not missing any of the trademark sound. That's all present. Uh, I just feel like they're kind of asking him to be Scott Weiland and you can't. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the, the one thing I would say as a detractor to it is that they haven't done enough to let him find a voice within that band. And if they continue forward, I would like them to like, that's, that's my hope for them going forward. If this is, if this is the incarnation that they will remain as, I would actually like to hear Jeff Goot more and Scott Weiland less. Cause yeah. that's kind of what this sounds sure. like. Sure. It's not karaoke. Right. He's yeah. the new lead singer. I mean, you're filling big shoes. Like this is a sure. band that has obviously a nostalgic place in a lot of people's hearts, mine specifically in this, in this room. So for that to be a thing, you have to, to take on like i respect the i respect the gravity of that but yeah you know i would you know i'd like to think that the band can do that and i i think it's possible did you roger you listen to this yeah yes and. uh <laughs> moving on no no <laughs> um no it's it, it's it's serviceable i mean it, it i i like the i like the fact that they they're continuing on and i think he does a really good job of carrying on the, the sound of Silver ohio it's but uh, you can definitely tell at this point the the polish is still highly polished and they still the musicianship is still there. So that never leaves. Like that's, no, that, yeah, that's not something you can you can remove from that. But they, I think they're playing a little more safe. Like they kind of know what they they're good at and they're sticking with it versus sure. trying anything new. We'll give you a little taste of it. Play play middle of nowhere. This is uh, this is completely serviceable. You know what I mean? Like as a as a as a rock record, this is fine. You know, like it's it's fine. <laughs> I can't. I, I don't know. I can't keep saying it's fine. But you know, do, do you hate this? Does anyone hate this? Kind of. No, yeah. I don't. Hates I, I, super strong. 
Yeah. Okay. But disliked, and I thought it was odd. I did a little more looking into who he was, but when I first heard the announcement back when it happened that he was the lead singer, I didn't know that he was in a band before that. Um, but I thought getting a guy from the X Factor hit me weird when I just saw that as like a blurb of like X Factor contestant, mm. whatever. I'm like, really? That seems very disingenuous for a really good rock band that has a really good I history mean, of albums he's to pull a, a guy from vocalist. Right. You know, I didn't like know any of that. I just thought he was a dude on a game show and they pulled him from there. Sure. Well, I mean, at that point, you've already done the vetting, right? You don't have to watch him do auditions because he did it through a fucking show. That's true. So it's that's very actually economical by STP. Yeah. Right? They're old guys. They got shit to do. <laughs> right. Or no energy to do it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I didn't dig it. I'm glad I listened to it because I knew it was there and mm-hmm. didn't have a reason to do it. Uh, but I, I can't imagine a world where I revisit this album ever again. I will never see this band. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right for me. No. Like, I, I can't imagine a world where i want to hear the old stuff done live because like live music is a big part of my life as people who've listened to the show know and as both of you obviously know so i can't translate that over to a space where i would be able to digest it that way but as a listening experience i didn't hate it and i'd do it again like i i'll listen to that album again i'll listen to new albums going forward i the only thing that like i said i i would like to hear more of a imprint from the singer on the band as opposed to the other way around. I guess if I have a, anything to say about that. Sure. Which is the pin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's unpin that. So the question I wanted to ask both of you, because this is, this is exactly what that is. Where do you stop connecting a band to being that band based on when someone leaves? So a, a few scenarios would be like, if the dude from Hoobastank replaces Eddie Vedder. This is a very interesting. They're no longer if. Pearl Jam to me, right? Okay. Though the guitar sound has everything to do with how the songs are written, that voice is attached to that band name, and that's how they're that band. Conversely, if you have a band like Rage Against the Machine, I would find Zach or Tom Morello pretty irreplaceable because you take the guitar sound out. It's not Rage really anymore. If you take Zach out, it's not really Rage. Well, they so, did that, though, right? No, that's right. What that's what I'm saying. Was. But where for you as bands you like... Are you still, that name is still who they are. Who's allowed to come in and out and still, so like that terrible rock band I was in, we went through like six drummers, <laughs> but none of those six drummers did anything for songwriting. They just played drums. The guitar player did most of the actual songwriting and I okay. did all the lyrics. So if one of us leave, can that band still be that band? The drummer can go in that case, but that's my broad strokes question is when do you allow a band still to be that band name, no matter what parts came in and out? Roger, you go ahead and feel this one first. Like, I don't know, now Queen's touring with Adam Lambert. It's not Queen. Sorry, it's not Queen without Freddie Mercury. Well, it's Queen with Adam Lambert. There is there is a with. There is a there is a modifier. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking... The problem here, though, is that you use two examples. You use Queen and you use Pearl Jam. We're using examples of incredibly well-recognized frontmen. And Scott Weiland is that to people that care... Right, but I don't think he is that at large. Like I don't think Scott Weiland has the same pull as Eddie Vedder, even even in a band that I like more than Pearl Jam. Right, I don't think you can replace Eddie Vedder in Pearl Jam. I think you can find people to replace Scott Weiland. I don't want them to sound just like Scott Weiland. I guess okay. the, I guess the line for me personally is like I just said, where I see them in the way I feel about it physically like live okay i couldn't go see queen with adam lambert because in my mind that isn't queen i could and did 
go see Audio Slave as an example because right. I was like, oh, it's those guys, the Rage Against the Machine guys, and Chris Cornell. and Chris Cornell because they weren't replacing each other. It was a okay. new thing. Yeah. Sure. So I guess it just comes down to you know how you feel about it sentimentally. My ultimate answer really is it's the band's decision and not mine. Like, so fuck me. It yeah. Really true. matter if the band says they're Stone Temple Pilots, they can be Stone Temple Pilots. It's not for me to decide. Right. You know, even as much time and investment as I put into this band as a band, I would never tell them, well, you guys aren't STP anymore, really. Like, no, they are. Like, three-fourths of the band is there. Right. The primary songwriting of the band is all still there. The music is still there. That's still STP. And I would actually probably even argue that if you found the tease Pearl Jam as the example, if you replaced Eddie Vedder, the difference there is that Eddie Vedder is the primary lyricist, correct? Yes. You know? Eddie Vedder is not the primary songwriter, though, right? Like no. as, as far as musicianship is concerned. Very, yeah, no. I would find it easier to replace somebody like Eddie Vedder as opposed to, like, Freddie Mercury. Right. Who was a bit more involved in, in the overall process of how the band made music. Right. You know what I mean? And also as fucking Freddie Mercury. Right, right. Because <laughs> like, so, there's this weird thing going on with, like, that band CKY, you know? Remember that band? Yeah. yeah. Where, like, they broke up and they won't stop using the CKY moniker. And the guitar player went one way with half the band and the lead singer went the other way. And they both sound like CKY still, because that like that band was true to both those sounds. Like the guitar right. and that dude's voice is what made them. But then he split, and they found a way to replace each other in the other band. Yeah, and weird. it's a really weird split where like you still kind of both sound like, like the, the band thing. together. I don't know. Yeah, I just with this happening, strange. I always feel a disconnect with like when that when Scott Weiland's gone. I don't know if it's STP anymore to me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it is on the individual. So, I think okay. ultimately it's an individual decision. I was just curious what you guys felt. No, you're about and it. you're. I think. Again, personally speaking, this is still Stone Temple Pilots. Mm -hmm. I can see it. I can hear it. It's Stone Temple Pilots because it sounds so much like Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. But is it my Stone Temple Pilots? No. So I am fine just not having it. I'll give an example that's kind of a little more obscure, perhaps. The Cars. When the Cars reunited, uh, Rick Rick Okasik Okasik wasn't part of the reuniting of the the band. And at that point, bassist... uh, Draw the blank. The... The basis is name. Um, the car's basis. The car's basis. Uh, Not Rick Ocasek. Yeah, Rick, Rick Ocasek. <laughs> right. But uh, the, the the basis, the, he passed away of cancer in the late 90s. So when they got together and it was Todd Ruggeren's going to be the singer of the cars, like that's not the cars. That's the cars featuring Todd Ruggeren, I guess. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It really kind of bothered me. A little bit because that's a that's an example of that that's not the cars that's not this Benjamin Orr a lot though Benjamin like, Orr by the way okay. that's a, yeah who else okay. yeah but this uh, happens a lot though and it's not it's not foreign the concept right. of a band continuing on without their frontman because the I think the the thing that is unfair we won't take this forever but I think the thing that is unfair for people like us like fans to do is to immediately discount every member of the band just because your singer is gone. Like that yeah. that's that's most often the case. It's usually the frontman that's being replaced. Yeah, and it's. The fate, the forward face and voice of the band is what is being replaced, and I don't think that it's right to just one hundred percent discount them now as an as an entity. Like those guys still got to eat; they still have you know the desire to make music or play their own music. Like we shouldn't be able to just outright tell them they aren't the thing that they have been forever because yeah. one guy is gone. Sure, you know. So that that is a, again is a very personal interpretation of this. I know people don't agree with that, and some people will, but that. On my level is where I sit on it. I yeah. I feel like you should have the latitude to do with your music whatever the fuck you want to do with it because it's your music. So if you want to call yourself the Cars, 
call yourself the cards. You want to call yourself STP, call yourself STP. You know, that's where the litigation stuff gets really weird for me because I, in principle, understand where people are coming from in within the dynamic of their own band. You know, like, well, I wrote all these songs, well, I wrote all these lyrics kind of stuff. And right. That's unfortunate when it gets to that, but I don't know. Plus, it's, there's that huge financial burden of, like, I will make more money touring as Stone Pilots than I will as whatever. The Leo's plus right. some guy. So there's a huge benefit to having the title if you do want to keep feeding your family yeah. and paying your bills. Yeah, plus um, then you just sound like a law firm, like DeLeo, Kretz, and Goot. <laughs> oh, my God, that is a law yeah. firm. <laughs> You're a DeLeo, Kretz, and Goot. It's a personal injury firm, We're going to put out the jams. Well. Yeah. Yeah. The reason really why I bring up the cars is because <laughs> that was an example of taking essentially the guitarist and the keyboardist and saying, okay, we're going to carry on with Todd Rogren and some guy from the tubes. So yeah. that's, you know, that's a little different from what we're talking about, but still I, STP those. Yeah. It, it really, I don't know. Like then I think about it, Dave, give me some uh, pause to thought here, some food for thought a little bit, but uh, I think that that's, that's an example of, they're probably the closest thing that if they had another singer that sounded eerily similar to Scott Whalen, they'll be fine. Which they do. Yeah, exactly. Right now they have that. Yeah, but Rick Orsay's voice, you can't replace his voice. You can't replace Benjamin Orr doing... No one's going to do uh, Drive drive any, the same way. Sure. Well, so. All right, this is, this is a conversation we can have for a long time, but this is not the place for it. I'm glad you brought it up because it does bear mention because it is, it is part of discussing this band because they are they are doing exactly that. So I'm, I'm glad we discussed it. I am going to... Stop it here, though. We could talk about it off mic again, and we could have people talk about it when they listen to the show. You know, we'll give you all the places to discuss this with us at. But to wrap this up, we're going to stop that where we're at right now. Um, in wrapping it up, though, we've come to the end of the of the discussion of the band and kind of going forward. We're not sure what's happening with them. They haven't announced anything, you know, extensive kind of touring or any new albums. But, you know, we could probably assume part of that's coming. So what's... You know, we examined this with the other bands we've discussed before. What then is the lasting legacy of this band to you, uh, individuals, as you know, as maybe fans, as less fans? Where where does this band stack up in a legacy perspective when you compare them to what has preceded them and kind of what they've left in their wake? Because they have inspired some people, and I think it would be interesting now to kind of discuss where you think this band. Where do you think this band falls? Ray, we'll start with you. I think younger people probably won't stumble into them as easily as a Alice in Chains or a Soundgarden or a Nirvana. And that's a bummer for them. Like we had the advantage of it all happening uh, in our upbringing of like this is live music that's just happening. But I think they're under famed compared to the others. So maybe the 20 year old guy sitting next to me at the office doesn't accidentally hear STP. I don't know. So. Quick point then. Yeah. If you think they're underfamed, right, and that upsets you because you think more people should hear them, sure. Wouldn't you then be saying that they're underrated? No, no, no. Because I still Why? think their material is there. The credit given to them by those who do know them, I still think overrates them. Even though you are saying it might slightly be underrated, their appeal. Not underrated their appeal that they're being buried where they should still be. They are still part of. So there's a third word. If you want to use fair, you I can say that they're fairly I rated. I don't want to use fair. <laughs> I don't. I want to say that I, I feel... So the comparison I had was I feel like they benefited from the music that was happening around them to a certain degree to gain them the popularity that they had initially. And it's probably a horrendous connection, but I always felt 
This is going to be so bad, but it's the best I had. They are the Snoop and West Coast rap. We're like, I don't think Snoop's that good, and I think his stuff's pretty overrated. But being connected to Dr. Dre and Ice Cube at all, Snoop stayed around for a while and continued to make bad music. I'm not making that comparison. My point is, though, is they were the beneficiaries of the movement around them to a certain extent. But I still think that they have a huge influence on what happened when they were there. They were they were yeah, what they were. They were there. But they I were still, a very important part of it. I there. still disagree with a lot of They're actually one of the better selling bands of the right. 90s. Like they were a huge band. I get so it. When they, when they yeah. played again, they were getting like two hundred thousand dollars like per show. They were getting quite a bit of money. Yeah. There's a it's hilarious. I think it's to speak to the popularity of this band at the time. In nineteen ninety four, Rolling Stone released a their year end review and they had a readers poll also. So Rolling Stone, the magazine, mm-hmm. voted Sontella Pilots as worst new band. The Reader's Poll voted Sontella Pilots as best new band. Right. In the same year. Sure. This is all in one year. Sure. So this is kind of the story of this band. They have always kind of been regarded less by people who are paid to write about them and regarded higher by people like me who are like, no, this band is great. So that's, I just always thought that was kind so of a So I am thing. Rolling Stone. Sure. I guess. I think you're kind of in the mix. You're in between somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's a fair point. And I also, like, I'm thrilled to hear that someone else doesn't like Snoop Dogg because I think Snoop Dogg's ass. Lovely. Oh, thank you so much. I don't know where you're going to fall on that. There with you, I can get to the point where you start to then say that about this band and fuck you. But that's not what I meant. Hold on, hold on. I know that you didn't. Let me define. Yeah, artistically, I'm not connecting that. I I was thinking to them being known as well as they were known, jumping off of someone who had also been known, but not on a material level. God, no. I would. I would also say that I don't think any other band could make Interstate Love Song. And that's kind of like almost by itself enough of a. If they were a one hit wonder and that was their only right. song, they would still get credit for being great in my mind. Like, yeah, I still think that's enough. But yeah, you make good points, and I will concede that at least that is that is fair. What you are saying, you are being fair. You okay, ain't, you ain't lying. The soup lion sucks. So Roger, <laughs> apart from Snoop Lion, how do you feel about the legacy of Stone Temple Pilots? I would disagree with Ray. I think they're I think they're vastly underrated. I think this is a band that, musically speaking, should be talked about in the upper uh, escalons, escalons, echelon, of music, echelon of music, whatever, <laughs> whatever that word. Words are hard. Yeah, words are hard. Words are hard. Um, but they impact. You talk about the impact. If you think about bands now, I mean, we're, we're unfortunately got bands like Greta Van Fleet. Ugh, Be like, careful, man, because I, I, I am very much, I know what you're saying, and I don't like Greta Van Fleet either, but I am very much a detractor of the bands now versus bands. No, 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 let me, let me finish my point. You will find yeah. no quicker way to piss me off. No, let me, let me, let, let, let me finish. All right, well, let all me explain right. what I was trying to say. I felt like that's where you were going. No, no, so. that wasn't where I was going with it. What I was trying to say was is that. In terms of the influence they have on music now, the bands that are out there that are, are putting out stuff out there, they, they're, the sound, the, musician, the musicianship, and that's what's getting back to. Band, I think there's bands that are trying to get back into playing guitar, or not playing guitar, but they've always played guitar, but just getting back to having a sound where it's like, and Dave Grohl talks about this in the Sound City um, documentary, bands have been in the last 10, 20 years have tried, you know, they've been doing things on the computers and, and doing things to supply production. And STP is a reminder to all these bands that are coming up now that you don't need to have that kind of element to it. You can, you can do it any way you want to. 
And I think that that's that that's the kind of influence they have because when like, we talked about the years that came out, 2001, 1999, all years in music were in 99, Orgy was one of the biggest bands out there for, you know, and they were able to weather all that out and stuck to their sound and stay true to themselves. And I think to have that kind of influence on bands that are coming out now is key because I think there's some ways that there's so much good music out there. Everything gets buried in STP still. You can listen to tiny, uh, tiny Music now, and it still sounds as good as it does 22 years ago. Yeah. So that's that's what I was trying to say. It's just like there's so much of an influence on there that I think that, you know, it, I'm, the back of the day kind of thing is is played out a little bit, quite frankly. But, sure. Um, but they have influenced bands now, and I think they will continue to going forward. I, see, that's that is exactly what I – that's why I wanted to do this show. I agree with you that they are underrated, and I agree with you, Ray, that they benefited from the time that they were in. Both of these are true. I disagree with you in the sense that you think they are overrated because I think the reason they're underrated is where I disagree with Roger. I don't think that they're influential to bands now, and I think that's part of what makes me so sad about this band. Like Ray said that you think that they are – you viewed them as kind of an also-ran. I think a lot of people do that too, and I think that's that's a – that's a thing that's stuck, you know, and that is really, really sad in my mind because I think there is gold to be mined from these records, like, you know, through number four and Tiny Music and even the more regarded ones like Purple and Core. I think there are great songs there, and I really feel like it's the time that we now should be the time that we are reexamining this band and what they were worth because the musicianship was excellent, like you know, on par with any of the bands that got credit for what they were doing then, I don't think they got the credit for it that they deserved, like, at the time. I certainly don't think that they were ever given a chance to either because of what was going on around them. Like, I don't want to discount them by saying they aren't Pearl Jam, but bands like Pearl Jam, bands like Soundgarden, bands like Nirvana, bands like Green Day that reinvented their sound and did more interesting things later in their career. Like, they they were up against a lot of bands that were pushing their own sound to great critical acclaim, and they didn't. They pushed their sound in different directions, but it didn't get the same attention. And I think that sucks. And that's why I think they're underrated, because people don't talk about them the same way. And I think they should. And that's, you know, that is why I wanted to talk about it. So we all, we're all in the same place where when we started, underrated, underrated, overrated. And that's that's why we talk about it, though. We We want to have the conversation, and I want to put it out there to people to make their own opinions and to hear ours and... That's what we did, and I I feel good about it. You guys feel good about it? I feel good about it. Yeah. Do you, are you gonna Are you gonna apologize to me when we're done for making me want to cry by saying that they're overrated? Yes. Okay. That's I'll all do it. I'll do it now on the show. You're okay. I'm you kidding. Can record it for. I'm history. kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm 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 thicker skinned than that, <laughs> just barely. But enough, right. But enough. Enough to where I can take someone saying one of my I favorite think you bands. You knew is not though. Great. You knew when yeah, you. Yeah. I knew me. the whole time. I yeah. did. But that's why we need dissenting opinions. I couldn't just have all three of us love STP forever because then we'd just be talking about that, which I would be fine with. <laughs> but, but some people might want differing opinions. So if you want differing opinions or if you just want to hear us talk about how much we love STP or anything, uh, reach out to us. <laughs> that's that's my segue. So we're the show over under fair. We're on sportsradiodetroit.com. You can find us there. Check us out on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and Stitcher and all the places you can find podcasts and listen to stuff. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at overunderfair. Email us at overunderfairpod at gmail.com. Uh, Roger, anything exciting you want to mention about the website or anything? 
uh, check out the new website. We did a you know, nice little layout. Uh, check out the changes we made. Uh, let us know what you think. Try to make things easier. Try to make things more static. So what I mean by that is if you see one of our posts out there, you'll see it, and we'll have uh, featured shows, what have you. So Great. Let us know. Give us some reviews. I love We love reviews. Good, bad, and different. Doesn't matter. Yeah, man. Always trying to improve. I want to hear from you. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, do that. Ray from uh, SRD Ringside, I want to thank you again for showing up. Thanks for having me. Pleasure as always. Roger, thank you as well. As always, as always. And, yeah, guys, we talked about STP. We want to hear what you have to say about them. So, please, get through us through all those channels. I am Dave. This has been Over Under Fair. And we love you. So, bye.